This is Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Perfect Organism is the only exclusive alien podcast of its kind, with our official discussion group, the Wayland Yutani Bulletin. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. This is episode 60. Um, I'm your host, J.M. Prater, and this week I'm joined by Ryan Allen, who is the founder of Blade Runner Reality, uh, the Instagram, which has a huge following, and then the Facebook group. Um, and we're, I'm just tossing things up um, as, we're, as this podcast kind of takes a break from Alien a little bit, just so we can kind of find our happy spot, find my happy spot, uh, being uh, colossally let down with the recent entry into the Alien series. Um, but Blade Runner is something that I live and breathe. Um, and uh, I listen to the soundtrack every day, probably twice a day. The full soundtrack, like the unabridged version, twice a day. Um, it's on repeat or it's in my car. It's just it's just a soundtrack that I'm that just fits with me. But uh, so anyways, thanks for coming on, Ryan. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I just want to kind of find out how you kind of got going like what what was your first experience with Blade Runner yeah sure I, I, I appreciate you asking me on it's Absolutely. Uh, and you know I see all you guys randomly like in in the uh, these groups that we're sort of a part of and it, it's cool to to put a face and, and to hear a voice and, and these kinds of things so that's that's always nice so nice to meet you uh, here on the podcast but um, as for the question I, I think um I'm not like the best movie guy, mm-hmm. so like I, I have like a bunch of gaps in like movies that I've that I've seen and, and things like that. And growing up, um, I, I can't even remember when I first saw it. I remember it being on TV kind of randomly when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born after it came out, um, but I, I think it was tough for kids to actually understand that kind of art form as as mm-hmm. a movie, mm-hmm. um, like a really get a deep since Mania of something like that. So I had in my mind, oh, I saw this movie um, and kind of put it off to the side or saw like parts of it as a, you know, as it was on TV. And then later when I got older, when I was an undergrad, I started thinking like, man, I have so many movies that I think I've seen that did I really see this movie? You know, I saw it on TV or parts of it when I was a kid. So I was re-watching old movies and I came across Blade Runner and it just blew me away. And I was like, this is, what is, this is amazing. Like, there's nothing like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I basically, at that point, you know, it jumped onto my list of top movies and you know, just over time telling friends and everybody and sort of just repping it at, at all times. Um, and that and that's my, you know, and watching the various versions, discovering the various versions, going online and finding you know the different theories and, and different groups and things like that. Um, so I guess that's how I I got initially started with uh, just seeing Blade Runner and, and being a part of it. Yeah. Is there anything? Um, do you you know as an adult now? Of course, you're as a child you're watching the film and maybe you like it, but you're not sure. As children, we love things, but we're not sure why we love things. And then as we get to be an adult, we kind of see. Oh yeah, this kind of makes sense. Um, as an adult, is there something that resonates with you um, about the film that you can kind of pinpoint? So for me, it just—I mean, I have kind of a, a crush on all '80s movies. Yeah, basically uh, that just in, in practical effects, it just something that I that I think is impossible to rep- replicate. Um, and so that initially brings me in. I always tell people when I or when I'm getting in depth talking about this, I, I tell them one scene in particular mm-hmm. that captures. It, it feels dumb for me, but but it also captures so much uh, why I think the movie is great. And it's just this: it's when Deckard, uh, uh, after uh, after Edward James almost character brings him to uh, see Bryant, 
and he's walking in or they do a panning shot coming down from the top of the police station. Um, it, it's inside the police station, mm-hmm. which is, um, in, in, you know, it's a real union was a union station in LA, yeah. but they come, they come down and track down over Bryant's, uh, office and just pan down and then do his office. And then we jump to his office. But that shot, when they pan down, it goes over the roof, the ceiling of Bryant's office. And there's just like random garbage and like a ladder and other stuff and dust. And it's like that, that's a real, that's just a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like that would be something that you just walk by and see uh, that this is in a normal place. And for to have that in the movie, just randomly like that, um, in that one little scene that really just doesn't mean anything. I, I always stop it there and say, this is, this sucks me in. This makes this universe feel real. The story of sort of what it is to be human and the divide between technology is only becoming uh, more relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people living their lives completely online, uh, the creation of AI, all of these kinds of things are, are making the movie uh, um, just become more relevant to our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean to be uh, a human? What does it mean to be living a life? Uh, I mean, for me, that's one reason why, and I don't know if we were going to get into this, but I, I'm one of those people who like to think that Deckard is a human. I understand why people say he's a replicant and, you know, the new director's cut and the, the unicorn scene and all of that stuff. But I almost like even better the mythos that we don't really know and that there is this argument and there is this philosophical debate between how you sort of read the movies. And, and that, to me, just adds more mythos to a movie that uh, already has a lot of meaning in, in other ways. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're, you're a Deckard's a, a human guy. I am. And I think I can understand. See, part of, you know, my opinion is... I don't care either way. Um, at the same time, the idea that a human is in love with a replicant, I love that idea. I love that it's kind of a um, um, Romeo and Juliet, you know, and they've, at the end of Blade Runner, as you know, they kind of take off uh, alone. Um, so I like the idea that he is human, for sure. Um, but I also like not knowing. That's part of what makes, and I say this over and over and over, but it's really true, what makes good sci-fi, what makes great sci-fi, is these questions and not answers. Stop trying to answer it. And I know Ridley Scott has gone on record saying, oh, he's got to be a replicant, he's got to be a replicant. But there's no definitive answer either way. And and then as we get to later on, I know uh, Denis Villeneuve has said that uh, they try and keep the mystery of that intact in... Um, Blade Runner 2049. But really, all of that aside, that's not what draws me into Blade Runner. Uh, what draws me into Blade Runner is those questions that you said. What does it mean to be human? What uh, what responsibility do we have to our creator creations, you know, um, as creators? Um, and the idea of, of um, looking at, like, these things that we've made as second-class citizens, you know, not... not not um like they're good enough to be slaves but they're not good enough to be free you know right so right yeah i mean i you know roy as a villain is i mean i think you know i usually on list of like best villains of all time he's he's, you know he's at least mentioned or in the top 10 or, or whatever i mean him as a villain is 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 so fascinating because we we don't often get in movies where the villain has this very full arc mm-hmm. like where he's sort of introduced as this like scary person off to the dark like it's mysterious and not sure how bad he is and then he you know he kills Tyrell uh, and and later on he's running as a wild man attacking Deckard but then uh, Pris died and he has that like emotional emotional sense and yeah. then you know, the, the the monologue at the end just ties it all together and yeah. it's like that's like the it's a perfect that there's no ending of a movie that's better than that. I mean, that's just it, the, the, the speech is beautiful. The implications are beautiful. The look, the rain coming down, the, the mm-hmm. water on the face, Deckard's look even is, is just, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can surpass that. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I never, I don't see Roy as a villain. I see Roy as someone who's doing whatever he can to live. And I think it's a very sobering um, pretext or subtext or um, uh, parallel storyline. I mean, you know, uh, Deckard has his orders to kind of kill these replicants and he doesn't seem comfortable with it. He doesn't seem like, like, you know, that scene where he's killing Zora. Um, it's really emotional, you know, uh, it's a really emotional scene and she was fine. She was just working as a dancer. Um, she kind of wanted to be left alone, but he couldn't leave her alone, you know? So in some ways I could see Deckard as the villain in some ways. Um, and I think, uh, Roy was pushed to the edge, you know, uh, Deckard killed, uh, Pris. It's a very emotional thing for Roy. Um, and I think, Pris isn't so much the enemy either. Pris just wants to live. She, you know, she, they were fine leaving Deckard alone. Deckard hunted them down. So yeah. there's this dynamic happening between is Deckard is Deckard the villain or are the replicants the villain? Um, and then that dynamic of the, these second class citizens are not even allowed on Earth. You know, um, it's like slave labor that we've created that look like us that are sentient that want to live. I mean, it's. It's a very heady and complicated storyline. Right, yeah. And it, and it's, you know, some some of that has been tried in other movies and hasn't worked well. I, I remember a few, maybe, you know, I don't know, a decade ago when The Island came out mm-hmm. with McGregor and with Scarlett Johansson. It's like they try to play on those, on some of those tropes, but it's just not always done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes, we'll, I think, like, in... in TV and, and something like Black Mirror, maybe they can capture some of it a little bit. Uh, as a, but but no one has done it like Blade Runner and the totality of not just that message, but with all the other feel, character creation, and this universe, really, uh, or this world, this city. Um, n- nothing has really touched that, I think. I, I would absolutely agree with you. I'd absolutely agree. And I think what's also going on with... Deckard, I, I get the sense of Deckard where he's kind of lost. He's this lost man in this big city working at a job he doesn't want, you know, a job he's not passionate about, a job he thinks he's done with, he's retired. Um, but then they call him back like he's on call or something. Mm. Um, and so you have this guy who's kind of doesn't know where he belongs, um, kind of taking for granted his own life in some ways. Um, and then you have these replicants, these robots or whatever they are, um, also lost, like, where do we belong, but we also want to live, you know? So they're both very gripping parallel stories that I uh, I think deserve, um, they deserve full credit and they deserve really uh, a deeper look. Um, I, I, I would agree with you. There's nothing like Blade Runner. You know, there's, I've never seen a film uh, tackle the idea of, of uh, uh, artificial... Uh, intelligence. I mean, I've seen it in uh, AI, the movie that Steven Spielberg did, which is a great film, but it's very, very different than Blade Runner. Um, right. It's very much a kind of a, a bedtime story uh, about a little boy robot um, uh, that kind of is thrust into darkness. It's very much a, I don't want to say it's a child's film because it isn't, but it's just, it's just a whole different realm. It's ask. It talks about much, a whole separate thing, a whole separate mm-hmm. kind of, Separate issues, I suppose. Yeah, I also thought that that movie. I mean, now we're if we're veering off into other other movies, I, you know, kind of it, it was great. It started out great, and then mm-hmm. just got progressively worse. Mm-hmm. Which which is in you can't say that about Blade Runner. Oh, just no. like all of the parts fit together so well. Yeah, and and it's also a very tight, tiny story. You're not trying to save the world. The world doesn't end. It's about these characters in this small space. Yes. And that's another thing that I don't think movies do anymore, or not sci-fi movies. Um, there's a couple maybe. You know, Ex Machina, I think, did it. Mm-hmm. One of those like low budget, try to you know, you know, give a little budget to somebody, see what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but summer blockbusters aren't really oh, – it's about these small characters in this sci-fi universe, and we're going to tell this tight. Tight contained story. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, even I, I don't even think Ex, Ex Machina was a small film. Um, and I've seen it, and it was very well done. It was amazing. But I, I left that film completely perplexed and disturbed, to be honest with you. I didn't know what the director was trying to say. I didn't know at all. Um, but I don't want to get too far into Ex Machina. Sure. And before sure. we kind of continue on with Blade Runner, let's talk about Blade Runner reality. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what is that? I mean, I know what it is, but to our listeners, what is that? Blade Runner reality uh, were it's run by me now. It's started by another guy. I can, I can well, me and another guy. I can explain it in a second. But essentially, what the page is trying to do is capture reality that looks like Blade Runner. We're not necessarily trying to capture something that looks exactly frame for frame Blade Runner. Just something that looks like it might be from the Blade Runner film or from the Blade Runner sort of universe or the you know, LA is a future city, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a lot of, you know, neon signs, uh, uh, Chinese and other Asian writing, um, tall skyscrapers, um, lots of night shots, obviously, um, people in the dark and shadows, um, and really just kind of an homage to, um, the the great feel of the movie um this i I think the aesthetic is called you know like cyberpunk aesthetic Uh which has been sort of um copied i think over the years especially in like animation japanese animation it's been a huge following um nowadays as well but um we you know we also have uh you know different quotes or someone's asked questions to our to our fans just about the movie you know have another forum to talk about uh, new things in Blade Runner, or different things that people are seeing or are doing that's related to to the page. So how the how the page got started? I was actually living uh, with my former co or the co creator um, Siddharth Chunder uh, up here in, in New York City, and he's a big film buff and a photographer, like you know, an amateur photographer, I suppose. Um, and I was kind of new to Instagram. Uh-huh. I was actually looking. I, I figured, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, well, surely somebody already started a page that was like an homage to, to, uh, to Blade Runner. And so I was searching for it, and, and I could find some random hashtag, like hashtag Blade Runner or whatever, but there was no page. And so I, I went to Sid. I was like, we should start this page. Like, why not? Just you know, It's not out there. I think it'd be interesting. People are already hashtagging Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool. And he was kind of dubious. He's like, this is not the worst idea you've ever had, but it's definitely not the best idea you've ever had. Um, and I was like, I, I told him, look, I'm going to start it anyway. I don't care what you say. So I just I signed it up, gave him the password. And we, we started rotating every day. And I think, I think for over a year, we had daily, multi, sometimes multiple posts daily of uh, pictures that, that – look like Blade Runner. Eventually, you know, when Instagram added video, we started adding some video as well. Uh-huh. Um, always made sure when we do repost as well, this I think is something important for the page. If we do a repost from somebody else that we uh, uh, give the proper credit, whether it's either tagged in the photo or specifically mentioning it, or there's some apps that literally let you pull their page down and it, and it just says their little handle. Um, I, I think there's too much too much of stealing things on the internet, and so, yeah, so we really yeah. try, to try to make sure that we give credit. But we also feature artists that that have some amazing work on Blade Runner, um, so we'll feature feature those those people sometimes as well. Okay, um, that's really what you know how the page started and and what the page is supposed to be. Talking about Blade Runner reality, what have been some uh, photos of places that you've seen that you're like, oh my god, that's amazing. Hmm. Some some people that follow us and uh, you know we've connected with over the network um, or over over the community on, on Instagram are these people these urban explorers mm-hmm. and they they literally climb up on top of these buildings illegally and then take these amazing photos over cities wow. across the world. Um, one actually one guy actually contacted me and he's like, hey, we should meet up in New York and I'm like, man, I'm too too chicken to, <laughs> to do anything like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he took some, some photos that, you know, I could never take. And, and I don't consider myself even a professional photographer or anything more of just a, a, a guy who, who, you know, has a, has a love for a movie and an aesthetic, um, that I try to capture out there. But there's some really, really amazing photographers that, 
um, that can that capture I think what what we're also doing. So we also we try to feature them as well. Um, obviously, large Asian cities mm-hmm. can capture the the Blade Runner feel quite a bit. Um, luckily, I, I've traveled around Asia. I used to live in Korea. Uh, I just I was in China for five months uh, this year. So um, you know, in my own arsenal, I have photos that sort of fit that bill. But mm-hmm. when we when we get hashtag from groups or, or people, we often find those are great. But some of the other, you know, I also I also try to feature uh, people and, and do reposts of people that are in random places that you might not think of, like, uh, you know, maybe somewhere in Brazil, even some small town in Europe that might just have a small piece of neon or something, mm-hmm. or, or a feel of maybe they made our project in their room or there's, you know, rain and someone in a trench coat. And so I think even though it's maybe easier to do this from a large agency city or from New York and you know, Times Square, I think anyone can really find that feel somewhere um, in their town or in their city if they if they really try. So I, I do try to I do think about um, having features of other locations that aren't just you know Tokyo or, or Hong Kong on the page. Yeah, and you know I live in Los Angeles or the Los Angeles metro area, and it's funny because there's a um, downtown LA. There is this food market and it's this building that you walk into and it's got this big huge opening and it's all food vendors and it mm. is fucking blade runner um, right and right. i mean especially at night i mean there's these neon signs there's tons of people walking in i mean it's it's it is blade runner brought to life and then like uh if you walk on some streets downtown like at dusk or at night there's panhandlers out i mean it is come to life um, right. in so many ways. It's pretty amazing. And then one night I was driving, uh, into LA and, uh, or out of LA or into LA, I can't remember. And there's this fucking huge blimp with this sign on it, this digital screen on it. I don't know what the screen was saying, but it was saying something. I was like, Oh my God, this is like Blade Runner come to life. It was, it, and I was listening to the soundtrack at the same time. That's amazing. Uh, it was That's- just, it was a perfect marriage of kind of happenstance of time and, things there and so I, I i like that like i i, I love that kind of uh our, our the world that we love so much come to life and capturing those moments for sure yeah absolutely i think if if i've had any failures of the page it's it's i haven't featured la enough mm-hmm. uh, you know i i don't go to la you know i haven't been there since you know maybe over 10 years um neither has my former co-founder uh or co-founder but no longer really connected to the page, my uh, Sid. And so we just, you know, if people tag us in photos, we try to put them up, but LA definitely, it's like where it's, you know, quintessential Blade Runner. Is there a character? Uh, I mean, maybe it's just, it, it's Deckard, but is there a character that you really feel like, uh, that you can connect with or is there, uh, yeah. Do you have mm. a favorite character in the film? It's tough. I, I feel like different days I have different characters or I go through like, stretches like obviously Deckard uh, I'm attracted to Deckard because he's the hero and he's Harrison Ford yeah uh, and, it, and it, it, interesting uh, arc as well um you know but but other times uh I I I'm like oh Gaff <laughs> like Gaff is somehow my favorite character when he has you know 12 lines in the movie but they're all home run lines and what uh, Edward James almost did with with that character uh, so much depth created this whole city speak language if, if for anyone who doesn't know the language that he's talking in the movie is like a mismatch of Korean Chinese Hungarian Spanish Japanese all all these different things and he really went to uh, language schools in LA and was like learning phrases and other things to put this together uh, and that his aesthetic too the, the way that he sort of looks and is sort of moving around Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes he's he he's also uh, a favorite of mine. Um, how, would, how about yourself? Uh, I would say my favorite character is Rachel for sure, hands mm-hmm. down. Um, okay. And I think because I feel like she's the soul of the film. I think uh, there's this idea, you know, you meet this woman and she's Tyrell's niece. That's what they say, and then all of a sudden she's not Tyrell's niece, and she has that realization, and you can see it in her face that she can't believe it. She can't believe it. And she brings the photos over to, 
to uh, Deckard's house almost to prove it. Like, no, look, here's me with my mother. And he goes, and he's like, it's not your mother. That's, you know, Tyrell's niece with her mother that, you know, these right. are false memories and she's coming apart, you know? Um, right. And, it, and her character begs really tough questions. Like, who are we without our memories? Um, and uh, yeah, who are we without our memories? What makes us human? Mm. Um, and obviously she has her own, she's sentient. She, you know, has her own, um, emotions, but she's unraveling and she's falling apart. And, um, you know, there's a, a very, uh, controversial, um, scene with her and Deckard. And I've seen it. Somebody was talking about it lately about, it seemed kind of rapey and Deckard, yeah. and Deckard slams a door and he kind of forbids her to leave. And people felt like it was assault, but I really, you know, and I'm like a feminist, like I am like beyond like i'm hypersensitive about that kind of a thing but uh, i never i felt like it was a scene where deckert was like no you're feeling these feelings stop running away from them stop running away from them and let's feel them feel what you're feeling for me um because she's also she doesn't know who she is she doesn't know what she is but she, yes she feels feelings for deckert but those are mixed in with with her loss of her own humanity you know? right um, right so uh, I just I find her very fascinating and complex, and you know we'll get into this discussion later. But um, as I consider a Blade Runner sequel without Rachel, who for me is the heart and the soul of the film, I'm wondering what's going to be the heart and the soul of 2049. But we can get in, into that later. So that's that's where that's where I come from in terms of favorite characters. For me, what's interesting is I feel like what happened to the actress afterwards, Sean, Sean Young, yeah. um, has somehow tainted, not for me, but for, you know, people talking about the movie, yes. about the movie yeah. um, her, her role and her, the character. And I think it's, that's very unfortunate because <laughs> why, why should the, the actress, what she did and things afterwards, and, and I think had sort of a, a tragic struggle on her, on her own right, um, have any any resonance to the character that yeah. something happened before, um, and so that I think that adds kind of a for me, sort of like um, you know it adds double meaning where it's like well this character was amazing and it and it, and it created uh, you're right it, it did act as, as the heart of this film, but then also outside of the film we have these people who are disparaging the performance and yeah. the actress. And so it's like doubly tragic. Yeah, I would agree. Actually, uh, funny story, small world. My friend Kimberly, who I partly grew up with, uh, you know, years ago in Chicago, she lives in Austin and she's friends with Sean Young and she goes over to her house. So one of these days when I go to Austin, I'm going to tell her, invite Sean Young over. We're hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> and You're I know, yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Actually, I'm going to see if I can. Uh, Politically, we couldn't be so we couldn't be more different. Um, but I'm not interested in her politics. I'm interested in who she, uh, the character that she played and the legacy she's left behind. And again, it's hard for me to envision a Blade Runner without Sean Young, without the dev her. She's like a tragic character, you know. Um, and almost in film noirs, you have that femme fatale. You know, and she's not really a femme fatale, but she's kind of one in some ways. Mm. Whereas Pris is really the femme fatale, but but um, Rachel is the emotion, is the is the the woman done wrong, you know? And she's not a damsel in distress by any means. She can take care of herself, but she's right. the the woman done wrong. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Rachel or in in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which we will get to eventually. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find resonance in also in Roy's character, you know, especially at the end, we were talking about earlier and that right. monologue he has in the end, but he wants to live so badly. He knows how precious life is. Um, he knows it and he has that dove in his hand at the end, um, because he treasures life and he's not squeezing this dove. He's not killing this dove. He's holding it beautifully and gently. You know, um, it is so amazingly poetic. Um, it's not heavy handed. It's not um, where you have this android at the end of this film who the intent is to kill Deckard. But he also understands Deckard is um, 
Deckard's life is important, so he ends up saving Deckard. I mean, it's it's right. it's a wonderful uh, dichotomy going on there. I mean, it's very complex. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's the point is he he has empathy in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's even like part of part of one of the uh, you know the voiceovers, and we can maybe talk about that too, voiceover, no voiceover, but. Um, where I think Deckard even says something like he saw something in me and in his own life and made this, you know, this connection. So, uh, that it's that moment can, you can take a film class on just that, that, that last few minutes. Absolutely. Um, and it's really, you know, and all of that, all that we've been talking about in terms of this, the text and the subtext and these characters and these questions that are being presented, who are we, you know, what, what is our responsibility to, us to ourselves to what we create then you add in this heavily layered and atmospheric um setting um unlike anything that we've ever seen we've seen hints of it um more uh, lately with um ghost in the shell i don't know if you've seen that but obviously ghost did, in the shell recently saw it yeah you did yeah i mean ghost in the shell came after blade runner so clearly the the aesthetic in ghost ghost in the shell is the blade runner aesthetic um and it's beautiful, but it's not Blade Runner. Ghost in the Shell, part of it was filmed in Hong Kong, and they sort of overlaid this sort of digital effect over the city, uh, which is, you know, it looked interesting, had an interesting feel. The movie, you know, that's another podcast for you, I assume. Yeah. Um, but, the, again, why Blade Runner it beats that movie and still you, you can't have the feel is they, all of the things that were... Were in Blade Runner was real. They built it, and whether it was a, a miniature or, um, or or they painted the the sort of the glass. I mean, they just did things that it it was so time consuming, and there's this very tiny little details that nowadays that kind of thing is happening on a computer. Yeah, and so I don't even think I, I like when I say we're never going to see a movie that looks like this. Quite literally, we won't because no one is doing that. Yeah, but no one is 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 making movies with by hand like that. So um, even if we get something that looks great, and we get great looking movies, Mad Max: Fury Road was a great looking movie. Yeah. Um, but what what Blade Runner looked like, we're we're never going to have again. I don't think. I would agree, and I think it was just the patience that Ridley Scott has um, or had back then uh, to really layer. Uh, the sets and the the smoke and all of the stuff that they used to create that atmosphere. And to be honest with you, uh, again, as you know, we are going to move on to 2049, but what I've seen in 2049 so far uh, in terms of like, there's a couple of images of, I don't know what their diners or not diners, but I don't know, like interior or like, I don't know, very Blade Runner uh, looking areas in 2049. And he almost nails that. I mean, it's almost like there's that scene where these two women I don't know are walking. Yes. Yeah. And it's like dead out of Blade Runner, you know, I mean, spot on. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I know Ridley Scott didn't make 2049, but even his films don't look the same. His films don't have the same sense of patience and, and attention to detail like they used to. Um, films just go, they opt for the digital and it just, it's you can feel it. It sacrifices everything, you know. Um, I recently saw Dunkirk last night, and um, it, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Christopher oh. Nolan does not like digital. He doesn't like it. So he says they do it if they have to, and you could feel it in Dunkirk. I mean, it was beautiful. It was exquisite. Mm. It was detailed. It was atmospheric. I mean, I can't even describe. I mean, I can't describe to you because you get it. Um, right. Right. I might go see it tomorrow. I'm thinking about going sick. Oh, yeah. It's just the best film he's ever made and probably the best film I've seen in years. It's just wow. amazing. That's high that's high praise. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, is there any particular aesthetic that you enjoy about Blade Runner or scene? Um I mean for me, I don't know why, but you know, ever since I've been getting into the you know, Blade Runner reality and just noticing uh, neon signs more. And just appreciating neon as sort of a dying art form, um, and so you know, in you know, this one scene, we have the that glowing and flashing dragon. Um, in you know, in real life, uh, neon is is being pushed out for much cheaper LED um, lights, and and so you go to cities, and and they've they've taken out um, 
neon signs and or they they don't turn them on mm-hmm. so i you know i kind of, and maybe that's just kind of nostalgic of you know when i was younger as well and remembering going to pizza places with neon lights and things like that there's a particular scene in blade runner i mean again the aesthetics i love the aesthetics of blade runner i do but when i think about blade runner um for myself and my experience of the film what i think about first are characters more than i think about the atmosphere the characters i'm a character guy i mean i i will not go and see films for their aesthetics i won't do it um they need to offer me both and actually this is a different on a, a in other conversations about other films, I see our, our people will say, oh, yeah, you know, well, um, yeah, this didn't work, but I like this, you know, the aesthetics of it. And I, I cannot do it. I, I am a all or nothing kind of guy. And mm. uh, and I think uh, the, the, the competition that Blade Runner 2049 um, has that it's up against is, it, is it this, obviously the first one. And it's not to be better than the first one. I think that's the that's the. Uh, that's something that I want to talk about. Like, I don't think 2049 has to be better than the first one. I don't think that's fair to sequels. I think it needs to be a good film on its own. Um, and if it can be a great good film or a great film, then we can talk about, yes, how do these work together? You know, because I, I just don't think, you know, they're their own thing. I, I don't think it's about trying to be better. Um, mm. But uh, in terms of uh, scenes, there's a one scene in, um, in Blade Runner where Deckard is standing out he he's he's in his apartment then he walks out on the balcony and you just see the neon lights and the lights and the atmosphere and you hear the vangelis music and you feel that sense of this man being lost in this great city you know um and it reminds me of growing up in chicago um and just just so much of it reminds me growing up in chicago because i i grew up in this big city and i know what it is to feel lost in a city and feel like well where do i belong in this world you know um and i and uh, I got that sense from Deckard. I mean, maybe it was just me projecting it. I'm not sure, but that's the sense that I got. So that's like my favorite moment. I, in terms of like piece, set piece or whatever, I mean, uh, you can't go wrong with the Tyrell Corporation, that pyramid. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. I've seen those. They're, they're in a museum here in uh, uh, New York, in Queens. Really? A museum of moving image has the, the Tyrell pyramid there. Wow. Uh, actually, that's funny. Uh, that was that actually I went and saw that museum and uh that was the photo that I I think it was the first photo that we posted on Blade Runner Reality I was like oh we should you know that sparked the page essentially huh that's fascinating yeah um yeah I mean that building is that building is just like it's like the it's like the holy grail I mean I've seen photos of it too um and you know everybody anybody who's into into movies and practical effects they see that film and it's like everyone bows down you know I mean it's and you know, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things about the movie is I've I've uh, showed my wife, who is uh, Chinese, and she she has no con- she didn't know this movie growing up, never heard of it, anything. And uh, and a lot of uh, people, like her friends and rel- they won't watch movies that aren't from the past, like ten years, basically. There's like if it's not new movie, <laughs> it doesn't look amazing. Like they're not going to watch it. And uh, but I forced her to watch this and a lot of other movies I liked. And uh, she was blown away. She's like, this looks like it could be uh, from the past couple years or wow. the, you know, right now. And so I, I even got her to love it, So, which I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good feat, actually. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, well, let's segue a little bit into 2049, and we're up at about four minutes and 18 seconds in this call. Sorry, everybody, we're having technical <laughs> difficulties, so we're segmenting every part. Um, but, yeah, uh, moving – forward into uh 2049 um when you first heard about this uh tell me what you thought um i didn't like it i didn't want another movie uh blade runner is a story that is self-contained and doesn't need uh you don't need to know you don't need to know what happened after they uh sort of sail off and into the countryside uh, deckard and rachel you don't need to find out if Roy and Pris had a kid, or if Deckard, you know, Rachel had a kid. Um, we don't need to find out for sure if Deckard, which they said they aren't going to say, but yeah, I, I don't know if I believe them, um, if Deckard is a replicant. We don't need to find out that Tyrell actually had a niece and she wants to get revenge. You know, we don't need to find out any of this stuff. Yeah. We, we never needed to get it. Yeah. Um, that was my initial take. That was my initial take. And I, 
and I've I've sensed moved on a little bit. I, I do want to hear your initial take, though, too, actually. Yeah, well, I am in very much agreement. Uh, I, I think the beauty of Blade Runner is that it's self-contained. Um, it, uh, there are some lingering questions. Is, 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 is a decorated blade, uh, sorry, a replicant? Is, what is he? Is he human? Um, and those questions don't need to be answered. Unequivocally, they don't need to be answered. And that gets into a whole another kind of discussion a little bit about Ridley Scott and uh, sort of the where he went in the alien films and he thought, oh, let's answer these questions. Um, and that's kind of really what uh, sunk Prometheus a little bit and sunk Covenant is we don't stop. And it, it's the kind of the George Lucas effect where George Lucas said, let's go back and let's show everybody Anakin and show him his fall into the dark side. When in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi's explanation of Anakin was all we needed. Period. End of story. That's all we needed. Why are you going to tell us a story we already know how it's going to end? Um, Absolutely, yeah. So... Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, uh, th that point is, is exactly why I initially didn't want to see another movie. Because Hollywood had such a bad track record of years later sequels or, or prequels. Because they had done such a terrible job in the past that why would I think that they could, and I know it's, you know, Hollywood's a big, you know, it's not a monolith, but in my mind is filmmakers, it, they hadn't done it before basically. And why would I think that they were going to do it again? So mm -hmm. they did it with star Wars and then Indiana Jones. The fourth one was, you know, awful. Shit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I'm a little bit more hopeful with in the past couple of years. They've done a lot better job of, I think, creating closer to what like the, they're, they're not giving us dog shit. And yeah. even no matter what you want to say about the new Star Wars, uh, they aren't terrible films. I, you know, Rogue One, I think, is 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 on its own. Oh, of, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So that gives me more hope in general. And like I mentioned, Mad Max Fury Road earlier. So now that we have more proof that it can be done and has been done and people understand about uh, practical effects or not going completely total fan service um, or, or go, you know, crazy uh, digital uh, monsters that we don't need. Um, I, I have a little bit more faith. And so that's given me, I think, a little more hope for the movie than when I first initially heard about this, this project. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with you. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, uh, The Force Awakens and Rogue One, I, I love both of them. I mean, I, I, I think Rogue One's the better film. Force Awakens has some trouble, but it's still really fun, and it feels like Star Wars, for sure, even if even if it's a little bit more predictable. Um, mm. Really great new characters. And so I agree with you, and I think, really, for me, with Blade Runner, like you, I don't need to, I don't need to know, I don't need to know if Deckard's a, a replicant. I don't. Don't answer that question. And I, I feel pretty good that that question isn't going to be answered. Um, and it seems based off the, the trailers, I'd still kind of maybe know what, you don't really know what the story is. You think, okay, somebody's looking for Deckard. That's really all that I have is someone's looking for Deckard. Um, and like you said, you know, with the sequels these days, uh, they are better. Um, they're, they're getting better. I think studios are kind of getting it that, Hey, if we're going to do this again, if we're going to explore this, it needs to be good. We need to not waste these people's times. Um, however, I, the fact that Denis Villeneuve, who did Arrival and Prisoners and Sicario and Enemy, the fact that he's doing this film, my confidence level is super high because he is a master filmmaker. Um, and he's really, really humble. I saw Arrival and I actually wasn't in love with it. Um, I thought it was okay. Yeah. Um, and I know it blew away a lot of people in the, in, you know, people always talk about Blade Runner Reality's page saying, oh, Arrival, you got to see it. So I thought I would love it. Um, I just thought it was okay, which I, it a little bit disappointed me. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, uh, Bill, who you know, uh, William, uh, Robbie, right. uh, I talked up the movie quite a bit to him and he kind of came away with the same feeling. Like he said, hey, you know, it was good, but it just wasn't It's like, OK, you know, um, where I felt like the film was cerebral and beautiful and um, uh, just really profound in so many ways. But it's a very different kind of science fiction. It's very interior. Um, and I think Blade Runner is very interior as well, but they're very vastly different 
beats, you know? Right, right, right. But I, I, you know, I, I also can sort of take the whole community and say, all right, well, there's so many people that trust this guy that I in turn trust them and, and sort of their judgment. Um, yeah. And that, that makes me feel a little better as well. Um, and some of the quotes that I've seen from him, it really does seem like he has a lot of respect, maybe even more respect than Ridley Scott does um, for, for the previous film. So that has a lot of hope for me as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think that um, I think that Vinny is the kind of director um, where he's like I said. I, I was talking before that he was humble, and he he realized you know there's been a uh, there was a, a a little article done about it, or there was a quote by him saying he realizes the potential of. Blade Runner of failing that him and uh, Ryan Gosling came to this point where they had to be okay with it, you know, and that's the kind of director I want, you know, in charge of a film like this, someone who knows, you know, this is a very difficult thing that we're trying to do. Someone who doesn't uh, come in with bluster and ego and um, arrogance. And unfortunately who kind of, that's who Ridley Scott is these days, you know? Um, Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that hurts the film. It hurts his films, um, whether they're alien films or whatever, you know. And uh, I think Denis is in a is at a place in his career where he can say, "Hey, I'm trying to service the work. I'm just trying to service the story, and that's why I'm here. That's what I'm trying to do." So, uh, yeah, I I, I, just, I think we're we're set up. It's a good setup. So I'm just hoping that uh, the follow through is uh, is successful. Yeah, I mean the. It, it's it's such an impossible task for them because you know people like us are going to be looking at every little detail to try to even though you know we're we're super fans or, or what whatever you want to call us um, and so you have to please that version and then you also have to please just some regular Joe who maybe hasn't even seen Blade Runner um, and then you have to please the studio exec that sees this as not just a one movie, but as a tentpole to launch a universe, which, you know, I don't like, but that's where we are in the state of movies today. So to do all of those things and do it well is just so difficult. And um, I I think in in that way, maybe movies are harder to make these days, Um, even though the technology is easier, but maybe the politics and the money surrounding them are are a a lot more difficult and complex. I would agree. And I also think that the way movies get made these days is different than the way they used to get made. Whereas, you know, years ago, back in the 80s and the 90s, early 90s to mid to mid to late 90s, you had these, uh, I think it was easier, a little bit easier for uh, people with a story to tell to kind of work hard to get that story on screen. You kind of had nobodies entering into the Hollywood system in a much easier way. Yeah, it took some work, but they... It was easier, whereas these days, these these studios are iron curtains. Uh, there is no, oh yeah, hey, Joe Blow, Schmil- filmmaker over here who's only done some indie work. He really has a great script. It's it's about who you know. It's about committees. Um, it's really, it's they, they, these are machines making these films. Um, yeah. And I think uh, the exception to the rule might be like, you have Matt Reeves, who is responsible for the last... Planet of the Apes films, which are really, really good. Yeah, they're really, really good, solid films. They're very heady films. But he said, you know, and there's quotes from him saying, you know, they brought me in here to make a film and I had to have a a conversation with them when things started going a different way. And I would say, do you want me to make this film? You brought me on here for a reason. Now, if you want me here, this is what I want to do. And then he said that they kind of acquiesced to him and they kind of let him do his own thing. Uh, And I think uh, that's really what's important. And I think um, from what I know of Blade Runner 2049, like there was just there was an article about or talking with uh, Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford had say so, you know, and uh, from what I gather, Harrison Ford opted out of Ridley Scott directing, which really, I think, saved the film. Because I think if Ridley Scott was directing 2049, I, I don't know if it would be as good as it could be, if it, if it ends up being good, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely sad because this guy is responsible for, for some of the best, and my, my favorite movies, certainly, with, you know, 
throw in Alien in there um, and then throw in Gladiator. Uh, I mean, these are movies that are that like define generations. Mm-hmm. And what what he's produced in the in recent times, it just uh, it's just so disappointing. And and he, it almost is like you're right with that arrogant attitude where it's like, well, this doesn't, you know, I'm just doing this. It's like, he's turned into a studio, you know, it's like his, he's, his mindset is more of like one of these executives you might've heard, like these stereotypes, like all these notes and have to do this. And it's just completely different than, you know, this small uh, filmmaker that um, is trying new and, and difficult things. So. Yeah, or or the filmmaker he was back when he made Blade Runner and Alien, uh, where he was struggling. He, you know, his next picture wasn't guaranteed to him, so he had to work really hard and he had to make really good films. And then he got to a point in his career where they're like, you know what? You've made some great films. You've made some great money for the studios. We trust you. Here's another budget. Here's another budget. Here's another film. Um, and I think he started really consistently pushing out really good work. And even like up till. Black Hawk Down and um, yeah. Kingdom of Heaven. Amazing yeah. films. I mean, absolutely amazing films. Um, uh, I just don't think that uh, he's just not the same person he was. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's an age thing. But you're right. I think he's become a studio. And uh, the, the the breakneck pace at which he makes films is, is a complete turnaround to the way he made films back in the 80s and in the late 70s, where he would do 13 to 14 takes. And I don't want to repeat myself too much. Some of our listeners, they've probably heard me say this because we've been pretty critical. I've been very critical of of Alien Covenant and Ridley Scott, and I really want to stay away from there. People know what I feel about that. Um, But in terms of Blade Runner, I really feel like we are in really good hands right now. And... uh, yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I, so I'm just kind of hoping that uh, I don't have any expectation. I don't know what I expect to see, but I hope to see a film and a story that's as, as gripping and as complex and heartfelt and emotional as the original. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, you know, I'm just, I have two like feeling like I want it to be really good. Um, I'm trying to temper expectations so I don't get so hyped up for it, although maybe it's a little bit difficult. Um, you know, I think you're right when you talk about those like interior shots that they've showed or like those really tight shots, of people walking and some of the costumes. Um, although then some, I've seen a couple other shots that more look like, like digital overlay. Um, I, have you seen Total Recall, the remake of yes. Total Recall? Yeah. And it just wasn't, it wasn't done well. I could tell what they were trying to do, but it just, they couldn't capture it. And I'm a little bit worried that they're going to that that's going to be some of it in, in the movie. And that'll be a little bit disappointing. Yeah. And I totally understand that. And actually I've been reading a lot of the behind the scenes things about 2049 that they've released so far. And like even, uh, Gosling and Harrison Ford, they were like, you know, we rarely saw green screen. And Denny had said himself, he goes, you know, I wanted to do this practical at all times. Um, so I don't know if they're going to, there's going to be much digital overlay. Really? Um, I think yeah. it's a little jarring and really I've, I'm in like, you know, Blade Runner reality, but I'm also in the, the Blade Runner UK group, the fan group. And right. it's one of those things where fans are weird about this because the, I'll see someone will post something about Blade Runner 2049 and people will complain that it doesn't look just like the original. And then I'll say, well, but this is 30 years later. Um, or someone, uh, or, I posted a picture of that's of uh, Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling's character. Looks like they're at, on water, but it's outside of a wall, and it's a really beautiful image. And someone yeah. wrote like, "That wasn't in Blade Runner. Those open spaces aren't in Blade Runner." And I said, "Can't this movie be its own thing?" And that's part of my thing too: is can we not let this movie or kind of also be its own thing while it's also telling a new story? And I think it's we have to. We're so married to this and rightfully so we're so in love with this original um part of the success of this sequel has to be us saying hey let's let it do what it's going to do and then let's judge it you know yeah i think actually and they're already setting us up for that so if you saw that last trailer that they just released it says california 2049 which that's immediately telling me that this is a much bigger story that's outside of the single metropolis LA, which their mm-hmm. previous one was. So we are going to explore more of the world, the Blade Runner world, 
And that's cool. I want to see that. I don't want us to go back to the same noodle shop. I don't want us to go back to the uh, the same club and the snake, you know, the snake uh, salesman. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing different things is interesting. The world that was created, I, I think, um, could service a bunch of other different kinds of stories. Uh, and we're just happened to get it, you know, continuing with Deckard and, and now with Kay. But um, I, I don't want it to be an exact copy just a version that they created in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want I want something that uh, will maybe be uh, add some more challenge to something that was already challenging and interesting. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, and I don't know if you've seen the photos of uh, the miniatures, like the cityscapes we're seeing. They're miniatures. They really like. They really decided to tell this, make this film much like they made the original, um, with smoke, smoke machines and miniatures, and it's and this, the behind the scenes stuff that I've seen in that behind the scenes thing that they released. I think it's about three minutes long. I think they released it about a month and a half ago. It's some, it's amazing, you know what they're doing, um, but it's not going to be the original. And I would agree with you. I, I mean, I think that uh, it needs to be something different. It really does, but maintain the integrity of the original um and also with the music i mean we haven't discussed the music of the original blade runner which is half of the film you know right, right. Um, we, you know when we hear that and the end themes we know what we're you know we know what part of the movie that is the f- music of blade runner really or yeah the music of blade runner really makes up for half of the film without it it's a it's a little hollow yeah actually there's a really great uh, video that I, I would recommend to all your fans to go check out. I think it's by Nerdwriter. Okay. And, and he goes through and he does this, uh, uh, and I can send it to you after this. And, and um, he talks about how the music is just baked into each shot. So, for instance, the shot with when they first introduce Rachel, and it's those mm-hmm. chimes, that mm-hmm. like unmistakable sort of chimes, but it's sort of also this music. And, he's, and he talks about how the, it, that's music, but it could also be something that you're hearing. Is that actually real chimes in this yeah. year? Um, and so all of it just kind of captures, and it's right in the moment of the movie. It's, it, it's as visual as you can make music. Absolutely. Yeah. The music is certainly, it's a, it, it, it is a character in the film, the music. Um yeah, I mean it's 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 his own story. I would agree. And even it even reflects itself physically. Like there behind the scenes documentary on Blade Runner, there's a scene in that same scene where Rachel's introduced, where it looks like there's a reflection of water on the wall. And mm-hmm. uh, someone said to Ridley Scott, "But there's not water in here." And Ridley Scott says, "I don't care. He he just wanted to do it." Right. Um, and I love that. I love that that he's creating atmosphere. Can I jump in and add on the music? Yeah. I, I, so one thing, the things I love is um, just putting that soundtrack on on my headphones mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wandering through a massive city, um, whether it's New York or I, I was living in Beijing and I traveled around China uh, earlier in the year and just walking around and, and with that music in the background and it, and it takes you on this journey as you're sort of walking around. It, it's, it's, it's unmistakable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, it's the soundtrack to my life. You know, I, I think I told you, maybe, I don't know if I was recording then, but I listen to that soundtrack twice a day, full full length twice a day, and I love it. It's just, it's like, it's 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 not just music. It's like a, a part of my life. Like it, uh, it comforts me. It makes me feel uh, less lonely. And I don't mean to play the violin when I say that, but uh, it's true. You know, it's just, it's a part of the, the, the fabric of my life, that music. Um and uh, it's just a testament to a score that lives beyond itself. Um, and I'm also, you know, I, I love Johan Johansson, who did the score for Arrival. I thought the score for Arrival was amazing. But the score for 2049 has got to be also something very special. And it can't be a repeat of what we heard before. Um, right. Right. That's, and, that's been a big complaint from, I, I've seen people posting and, and commenting in, on my uh, Blade Runner reality post. They're saying, I don't, you know, I don't like it's, the score it sounds some people are saying it doesn't sound close enough some people are sounding like it's a copy and i'm like no one obviously no one's going to be happy i guess <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's what i was going to say that you, that's a great segue where uh reading fan comments it's like oh no it's not perfect it doesn't look just like the original um 
And there's this, well, does it need to look exactly like the original? It's like, you can't make anybody happy. And I've had this discussion with the alien films or new alien films like, oh, this doesn't look right. Oh, this is too right. Oh, this is not right enough. Oh, why are they trying to copy this? Why aren't they copying this? Why are they copying this? You know, um, where it's like, well, just let it be, let it be, let it, let it be its its own thing. But that's a hard thing when uh, Blade Runner, which is one of the best science fiction films in history, uh, you're following that up. And that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a task I wouldn't want to wish on anyone. Well, and we, we also have to remember that now we are, you know, we have over 30 years in between these movies and movies after Blade Runner use parts of Blade Runner, use tropes yeah. in Blade Runner. So now something, when you go back and look at Blade Runner, you're like, oh, that's familiar because I've seen it in all these other things. Mm-hmm. So then if you then try to capture that again in the sequel, you're just going to be basically copying other movies that came out you know, recently or, or after Blade Runner. So it's got to blaze its own trail, I think, or, or it's not going to capture, again, this impossible task of capturing something that's maybe not capturable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it needs a wide berth. You know, I think we need, we as fans, um, and, you know, a fandom is a hard thing these days. I mean, most of the films coming out of Hollywood are sequels or reboots or prequels or whatever. There's very few original films coming out. Um, the Hollywood system is risk averse. Um, and so they're making all these films for their built in audience. Um, and I think Blade Runner is probably the biggest risk Hollywood could take. Um, but really all the pieces are in place, like with Hampton Fancher writing the original story for this sequel. Um, I, I think all of the, uh, the columns to support it being original and uh, unique are right there. It's just, the question is, will it be? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I always, I kept hearing uh, rumors about the script. It was like, this is the best script I've ever read. Uh, mm-hmm. It's better than the original, all of these kinds of things. So, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt, but at least you're not hearing, well, this is dog shit. Uh, no one wants to do it because, you know, it's a bad script. A la maybe, you know, the, uh, they, they're always talking about like a Ghostbusters 3, uh, an actual sequel. And, and every time you heard of the script, there's like, it was a terrible script. Bill Murray yeah. even thinking about it. So at least we're not hearing those kinds of things from uh, coming out of this. So that's always good. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, I would say that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, uh, I just want to kind of let our fans know, the fans of our podcast, and again, sorry about this patchy, if the sound might be patchy in this one, we've had to kind of go across a couple of different platforms. We're having pretty, we're having some audio issues, um, but Perfect Organism, the podcast, is actually partner is partnered with the Weyland-Yutani Bulletin, which everybody knows about, um, which is... Uh, part of the alien lore and fandom, but we are actually now partnering with Blade Runner reality. And uh, so it's going to be, it's a sister group to the Wayland Utani Bulletin, but uh, Blade Runner is something that we've discussed on this podcast on several occasions as the film progresses and the, the sequel comes out, we're going to be talking about it more. Um, uh, we're into good sci-fi, um, great sci-fi and, uh, so that's kind of like the next step for us is uh, the partnering up of this podcast with Blade Runner Reality and Ryan. And so you guys might be hearing more about Blade Runner from us as we kind of expand our our science fiction uh, canvas. So that being said, thank you, Ryan, so much for being willing to be on and for your patience and all of that. Yeah, uh, maybe when the movie comes out, we, we'll have to do another one of these chats. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to do a total uh, roundtable reaction. Uh, we'll probably do a couple of the films, so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. We'd All right. love to have you on. All right, thanks so much. Right. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire on the shore of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten-house gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like